Welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. In this episode, we're going to talk about systems thinking and theory. So some of the main goals and learning objectives are explaining why systems thinking and theory are important for improving performance. So this is still under area of expertise one, performance improvement. You're going to need to list at least three cultural and global factors that practitioners should consider during performance improvement initiatives. Uh, You'll want to describe mergers and acquisition management, issues around that, uh, list and describe sets and factors related to industry knowledge, and also factors related to broad company knowledge and how that'll impact systems thinking and theory. Finally, the last section is going to look at the concept of system archetypes, and I'll mention a few of them in this episode. So systems thinking, it seems like a complex word, but really it's just looking at problems in a holistic way. I put a link to a short clip by Peter Seng, who is one of the founders and of building that concept and his book, The Fifth Element, sorry, The Fifth Discipline. Um, it's in many different variations. Uh, this study notes referred to his book in 1994, but he has an updated one from 2006. Systems thinking is simply a way of looking at problems in a holistic way and putting them into context to find the objective and the performance solutions you want to solve that problem. When taking a systems approach to projects, you need to look at the entire organization with regards to the ramifications of all decisions and strategies. So for example, you might look at uh, behaviors and how they're rewarded on the job. So what kind of incentives um, are these people given bonuses, uh, extra time, flexible work? Well, What would happen if you changed to a long-term systematic changes and you rewarded those? What would impact and what would you think about if that was a change in their thinking? So they're not immediately rewarded, but they get something in the long-term they build up to. Would those incentives or rewards still matter? So I put a link to just a short article on what system thinking involves, what, why, when, where, and how that you can look at in the show notes. So the goal is to determine the underlying and fundamental relationships causing a problem. It's a kind of a proactive way to avoid continually reacting and needing more management change issues. So general principles of systems thinking identifies a problem and separates it into parts. So you might need to do that because in the system, each of the parts might have consequences to impact and maybe even make the situation worse. With complex systems, there are many different interdependencies. So this is key to identifying places for performance solutions and to be effective at solving the problems. You want to keep in mind that there's lots of interconnectedness in all of our organizations and groups and companies. So this would be looking at how people are connected, the process, the equipment and materials in a system. That will all matter. System boundaries need to be defined to reduce the scope of the problem, to focus the analysis and simplify what you're actually looking at and what is that issue. Keep in mind, though, that a narrow scope that is often a common issue or failure also gives a limited perspective of analysis and understanding of the variables causing and creating the problem. There are two kinds of systems. You may have heard an open system, one that interacts and maybe even learns from one another in its environment, and that can be influenced by outside events and often needs to have some boundaries set. A closed system is self-contained and often not impacted by external events and happenings. So characteristics of systems thinking, I'll just go through and let you know what they are. So you want to understand the complex relationships and interdependencies. 
You want to take responsibility for fixing problems. You want to balance the short-term and the long-term needs and perspectives. You want to take a view on an issue or problem in another way, so you're gaining a new perspective. You want to see the entirety of the situation and maybe look at that top-level, high-level view. You want to discern patterns of reoccurring problems, not created by daily events. So they could be uh, ways people are working, things, expectations in their roles. And you want to look at it beyond just a single day view. You want to question any and all underlying assumptions and ask questions further and develop an understanding and compassion towards what the issues might be that aren't even told or outwardly mentioned. So if you come in and a manager wants to list you a bunch of questions and say, this is what I think it is, um, systematic thinking and approaches would say, let's look at the bigger ways of work and how this organization is functioned. So there are principles of systems thinking. So these were developed in the two books, the one by um, Peter Singh and the other one by Draper Kaufman. Uh, Draper's book is in the notes as well. It's Systems One, an Introduction to Systems Thinking. Both of them are older texts, but foundational uh, with some updates here and there. And people have put them into design thinking and other things like that. But most of these principles still stand true to what systems thinking are. So there are no final or right answers when it comes to systems thinking. So that's the first principle. When dealing with your complex systems, there's lots of ways you can make change and you want to leverage things to solve the problem. Cause and effect are not related to time and space. So when you look at a problem you want to solve, it's important to look past kind of the root cause and leverage probably what's going on, the symptoms of the system that might be giving the problem. So solutions require careful consideration. That's the next principle. This means that you'll need to do some analysis. It'll take some time. Oftentimes, um, an example may be your employees are tired because they're working extra or overtime. Um, they're working more hours than they should. And so the they might hire a consultant to train to decrease stress when really the issue of the problem is not just stress reduction strategies. It's maybe thinking about time balancing and workload and where those hours could go. So the solution might be a bigger issue and not just putting a Band-Aid on it, as they say. Next principle is looking at uh, behaviors gets worse before it gets better. So this might be modifying a system that's um, where your employees have some resistance to any sort of change. So you don't want to worsen the behavior and you don't want to create bad patterns. So if you institute a new management practice or new expectation and you see employees kind of bumping against it, you want to think about, well, what else could we be thinking about doing that will impact less friction in this change? The next principle is there are limits in every system, so nothing can grow forever, and eventually limits will be reached. So you have to be aware that um, learning to manage systems might change, and the structure of the organizations may impact that as well, what the scale is, what they're doing, how they're producing, or the services they're offering. And the last principle is foresight benefits the organization. So in this, um, looking at complex um, complex systems, often is really critical. So with a complex system, often the solution is not linear because lots of these systems are self-organizing and you're going to want to take some time to resolve this and understand what the issue is. So having a plan and identifying and anticipating potential problems will help you choose which option is going to be most valuable to the organization. 
So levels of systems thinking um, goes to look at different things. So there's different ways to and steps. And if you search in Google, you'll find a whole bunch of them. I put a read in there as the six systems thinking steps to solve complex problems. But if you start looking up systems thinking and theory, you're going to find any number of them. Um, this one focuses on the three ways to view a problem. So this could be the why and the how. Uh, this is essentially looking at the events, the patterns, and the structures. So in this, um, you're going to take a look at um, more about what happened and identi identifying what the response was to that happen, that event. So what are the underlying uh, root causes of the problem is another way to say it. And you're going to take a look at the systems perspective for the organization. So you're going to have to know a little bit about the next few things we talk about. And that's going to be the cultural global, mergers, acquisitions, management, industry knowledge, broad company knowledge, and system archetypes. So let's talk about the cultural and global awareness. Um, these are factors that can affect any organization and any organizational system. So examples are three of them are economic, social, and tradition. So economic factors are things like pricing of and what the local currency is. So if you're moving to a new geographic location or something changes in the market, social interactions. So what are the societal norms, expectations, and customs going on? And how does that impact how you do business, how you work with your employees, and how you operate with clients? And then the last one, tradition. So holidays might impact. Um, thinking about where you position your organization, uh, what is a weekend it looks very different in the U.S. versus um, the weekend starts on Friday in the Middle East because that's where their their holidays and their religious days sit. So you want to think about those sort of considerations. The other thing that was mentioned is systems thinking helps to identify and respond to a series of changes before those changes lead to failure. So it's kind of like proactive, preventative, especially for organizations that are in transitions. And the biggest transitions are mergers and acquisitions. So this kind of management is really important because people often experience transitions to this kind of change in different ways. So change management's not always easy. So here are the four ways that people react to change. The first one we know is disengagement, right? So that's when someone loses interest and initiative. So they might react by disengaging at work. They might um, quit their job is the extreme, but they might just be less productive and kind of turn away. The second one is disidentification. Uh, employees might feel they have lost their identities and become vulnerable. And in this phase, employees who suffer from this often is thought of loss of a work group, a supervisor, maybe even a job title. They feel more vulnerable. So they often feel stranded. Employees are very frustrated, hurt, and may even feel betrayed. So they internalize this change and this um, their energy definitely um, drops because they don't know uh, where they're tying themselves or their role or what they're doing at work anymore. And this leads also into disorientation. Employees often feel lost and confused. This is the third stage of change and the reaction to it. So disorientation is where employees do not feel like they fit in. They're very confused. They feel lost and they're not sure about their priorities or directions. So they're often um, taken away, whether it's responsibility or their role is shifted and they often spend more time at work determining what they should be doing instead of getting it done. And so this phase is very frustrating because um, supervisor of these workers 
um, aren't often providing them enough information and preparing them for what the game plan is or giving them any assurance and helping them create and recreate priorities. So that's a key questions to ask in this area is to ask information, understand ideas, and what are the plans for this transition? The fourth and final phase of acquisitions, mergers, and the change reaction is disenchantment. So this is distinguished by the feeling of being disappointed with something and no longer believing that it is good or worthwhile. So employees sort of give up. They might become negative or angry and often seek out support during this phase. So you're often aware of this change. Uh, You might feel like the organization is untrustworthy. They are often um, disenchanted with focusing on what uh, they see as the problem or what's important. And once this emotion has come, they often would vent to employers and you can see them floating to the other stages of change management in this one's right. So they will um, usually manifest as anger. Supervisors will let um, employees vent to them about their problems and what the change and the issues going on and how it's impacting them. But often it rec- it's recommended that managers use a calming effect for anger to allow people express their negative emotions, but also direct them towards what is a normal reaction that it's okay to feel like this for change, and then how they can um, move forward to make known of what's next and w- what they want to be doing in the organization, or do they want to move on? So change is hard, and we know this. And how you react, not react, is going to impact what you do in the workplace, no doubt. The other two areas of knowledge, I kind of put them into factors that are really important to benchmark during a business analysis. So when you're looking at what the problem is in a performance analysis, you're going to want to know two things, the industry knowledge and the broad company knowledge. So let's start with the industry first. This is essentially um, understanding what the organization's uh, goals are, what's their priorities. um, And in these goals, what is competing or contradictory? So maybe they have one vision or idea that is in in tension or contrast to another. Other strategies will be important. So you want to identify um, how these are moving forward in the industry. So what strategies have they identified to try to meet those goals? And what's the rationale for that? For industry factors, there's a couple of them to understand. So you have the competitive environment as well as the compliance issues. So competitive environments are what the organization is doing to stay competitive and uh, relevant in the market. So this could be innovations, emerging technologies, meeting market demands, and so on. The compliance issues are really critical. So this might be looking at one organization's um, health, safety, financial reporting, Uh, This could be done by industry and might also vary by geographic region or country. The broad company knowledge is the second benchmark as you're looking through that business analysis. And this is where you want to look at the industry segment. Like where do they occupy? What's their domain space? What's their scope of work? Their organizational structure. So that typical org chart and who reports. Um, You want to know both the formal reports and power structures, and also the informal ones. So there should be an identification of what this looks like amongst the group and between those working together. And how does knowledge in this company actual transfer? Um, knowing this is really important because your own business awareness, uh, understanding the key factors of the organization's current situation will help you identify any issues. So this could be 
um, inf- what's influencing this organization's in their own market or industry, and what are the factors affecting the health of the organization. Finally, the last is the system archetypes. So archetypes um, and system archetype is a pattern of behavior of a system. So this could be used to kind of create classifications or molds. Like you, if you're baking, you're looking at a cookie mold. Um, this is the type of system one is working with. And it's a way to quickly categorize and come up and identify issues based on that type or classification of a system. So there are a few different ones mentioned, and I put a link to some of the archetypes and the storylines. So here are the most common ones that I found and I was reading about. So fixes that fall, and this is where a solution is rapidly implemented. So someone said, let's do this. And that system um, was there to fix a current or urgent problem. And that quick fix is set in motion with unintended consequences. They're not evidence, but they add up to the symptoms. So maybe someone had a new protocol, another set of rules for a plant, and they didn't think about um, maybe the health factors, the work hours. So the fi- that's called the fixes that fall. The second one is the shifting the burden. This is a problem symptom that is addressed by a short-term and fundamental solution. The short-term solution is to put that Band-Aid on, right? So the side effects of the bigger solution is not solved. And so this system's attention shifts to the short-term with many issues and side effects and just probably even escalates the problem. So instead of um, fixing it, they just put a Band-Aid on that solution. The third one is limits to success. So This might be an idea that's initially generates positive performance. However, over time, there is a constraint. It slows down. um, The overall performance doesn't matter. And and they've reached kind of that plateau. So that's the limits to success. Drifting goal. It's a gap between a goal and actual performance is realized. So as much as they want to identify um, somewhere to reach this goal and they change the performance, the goal is just actually too high. So it's like lowering the bar. Um, so that high jumper might be able only to jump to that six feet. So um, if we have it at eight, then we're, we have a drifting goal. It's not going to be reached. And if we don't adjust that goal, you're going to see gradual decline in your system performance because your performers are going to be demotivated as well. The fifth one is growth and underinvestment. So lots of organizations and companies want to grow and the growth approach uh, limits potential avoidability investments and capacity. So as much as you want to um, grow and not investing in performance um, changes, degradations uh, might impact um, how things actually grow. So if they don't have any investment or funds or resources, then the growth is going to be challenged. Another uh, common archetype is success to the successful. So this we thought of as the self-fulfilling prophecy. So a person or a group is given more resources than another group in that organization, and the, for- the former has a better chance of success than the latter. The initial signs of success also justify devoting additional resources to the former. So there's rewards more than one group than not, and you're going to see struggle with the ones with least resources. Um, seventh archetype is escalation. Parties take mutually threatening actions, which escalates their retaliation, attempting to one-up each other. Uh, No one's performing better. There's just competition uh, between groups or teams or people. And so this competition is unhealthy and does not help at all in this archetype. And the last one that was listed in an example is tragedy of the commons. So 
multiple parties enjoying the benefits of a common resource do not pay attention to the effects they're having for that common resource. So this might be us thinking about our water use and the, the depletion and how we have to conserve and preserve it. So it was just an abundant resource, um, but now it's going to be exhausted. So in a company, this um, resource is exhausted, resulting in shutdown of activities or impacting different groups within that system or people in the organization. So they no longer have access to that resource. So systems thinking is a big, fun process. People love it. People like systems thinking and theory design. Um, they often refer to different uh, practices related to systems thinking. So one of them was the ladder of inference. Um, so this is essentially where uh, relationships between people and organizations and how they learn and how they use action research. So the latter inference model represents the different way learners actually understand and deal with everyday events. Um, there's no shortage. We, we'll talk about cause and effect analysis. That is the root cause of a problem can originate far from where the problem is taking place in an organization. Uh, you also see appreciative inquiry coming in there, which shifts the focus of analysis and dialogue from problems and concerns to the opportunities and visions. So, uh, we'll get into appreciative inquiry a little bit later, but you can think about how research feedback and action planning will help to um, be proactive with your systems and how you work to enhance them. And then open space technology, it allows a group of people to create energizing and productive meetings. So we see this with new technologies that come out, um, things that represent ways to identify issues, think together. Um, so those are just a few things that systems thinking also has impact and touches on. And that was just the highlight at the end of this section. So thank you for joining me for the systems thinking and theory. And hopefully you've got a few ideas of what you're studying and what you're thinking about for your own workplace, uh, taking the systems thinking approach. Thanks for listening to the Learn, Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like, and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.